Good morning. It's an uh, interesting feeling coming up when the kids actually leave and stand here because half the church is just sort of walked out. <laughs> Not a great vote of confidence. No, it's a good thing. Uh, we started this series in, uh, in February in Acts and, and one of the the first, on the very first Sunday, uh, what we what we spoke about and what we looked at was that this book, um, its foundation, and 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 what this built this book is built on, is found in Acts one eight. The words of Jesus it says, "You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." And as we've worked our way through this book, we've seen that true in, in uh, hopefully, of every Sunday, of every message. Um, even last week, as we looked at the the prayer life of those believers and the uh, the, um, the the escape from prison with Peter. And these two promises keep coming uh, are real and are keep coming to the surface as we go through Acts and go through the spread of the gospel, the two promises that there is power from the Holy Spirit coming upon those who believe. And Jesus is taking his gospel message through his disciples, through his followers to the ends of the earth. Well, we're only up to chapter 13 and so after 12 chapters, the central apostles, sort of evangelists, it's all been about Peter and that's sort of changing now. We're coming into the time of Saul and Paul, uh, his missionary journeys. And the gospel message has gone through Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And now it's through Saul and Barnabas. The Holy Spirit is sending it to the ends of the earth. And they're starting in Cyprus. This power that we have seen in the book of Acts is, is in the hearts of people, it's transforming people, it's changing people, it's healing people, it's raising people from the dead. This power is, is leading people. And where there is suffocation and, and persecution and death, the Holy Spirit doesn't vanish and disappear at that time. It's actually at that time when the Holy Spirit is most powerful and at work. And many people have come to know Jesus Christ as their Saviour as we've read in these first 12 chapters when there has been times of persecution and suffering. At times, like Stephen, of death, the Holy Spirit power is on display with the forgiveness from his lips. It's not humanely possible but it be for the power of the Spirit. The power that we're talking about is not exclusive to the churches of Acts. It's not exclusive to the first century Christians. But the same God and his Holy Spirit 
and his power is here today in Montmorency Community Church. It's made available to anyone who places their faith in Jesus as Saviour and Lord. And he promises to come into our lives and change our lives and empower our lives. And I am ashamed to say that over the years I've put such ridiculous limitations on what that power can actually look like. I haven't always thought that this power that we've been reading about can actually be the same today in in my life and in my church and in my community that the results we see from the power of the Holy Spirit through the those who follow him and are obedient to him, can they really be true of my life and in my church and in my community? I haven't always grasped the truth that the very hardest times are the times when the power of the Holy Spirit can really work in people's hearts. Romans 1.16 Oh, I missed one. Oh, I didn't put it in there, that's why. <laughs> but you'll probably know it. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And the, the truth there is that there is nothing more powerful than salvation. When a person who is separated from God is saved from their sin not just for this life and who gains a purpose for this life but for eternity to come who was going to spend eternity separated from God will now spend eternity in his presence. There is nothing in this world more powerful than that experience of salvation and knowing God as your Father and Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord. God is always ready and he's always doing amazing and powerful things. But it's whether we are ready to follow, whether we're ready to listen to his spirit, whether we're ready to be obedient. Uh, Barnabas, and, Barnabas and Saul, well, they were. And, uh, and they set off for... Antioch, there it is, uh, just in, in, uh, in Syria, sort of above modern day Lebanon, in between, and just under Turkey there. Antioch was a, a multicultural city, a financially, oh, I, I, I haven't got that right. I missed a few points there. Oh. Might leave that one. It was a financially strong city, a gateway, a gateway sort of from the from the east through to the to the west of that modern of that known world at the time. It was a place that had many gods. Just out of the city was the terrible disgusting temple of Daphne. It was, a, it was a temple known for its prostitution and its worship of many gods. I, I don't know what the modern day 
uh, Antioch is, uh, we, we might think Vegas is one of those sort of places on earth. Yet in the midst of all that society and that culture, I'm probably being a bit gentle, aren't we? Because we're, we're probably not that far off in modern day Australia. But anyway, in the midst of that culture and that society is this church of Jesus Christ. And they have a multicultural church. We read about the leaders, the prophets and the teachers here. We had ones from Africa, from Cyprus, Turkey, Judea, uh, Saul from Tarsus. And this group of believers are following Jesus Christ. They're, they're really the, they're the first church to reach out to the Gentile, uh, Gentile people. It had mostly been all about the, the Jews and reaching out the Jews from Jerusalem and out. And uh, in fact, it was that purpose that Barnabas was sent to them. And after Barnabas preached, he went up to Turkey to get Saul and they came back and they preached more in, uh, in Antioch. And uh, they spent, it says, at least a year there. As someone new to eldership and leadership in a church, I was thinking about these guys in the context of where they're at and thinking about that these guys must be doing something right. I thought, what is it? I wonder what characterises their leadership, what they're up to, what are they doing that is seems to be working in this church, in this culture. And we don't really know a lot about those other three uh, that Emma read so well to us. I'm not going to have to pronounce them now. Uh, we don't know a lot about those. We know more about Barnabas and Saul, but we don't get a full picture of of, of that. But we, what we do read in these few words, at least gives us an idea. It says that they were worshiping the Lord, and they were fasting. And then after the Spirit speaks, it says there was more fasting and more prayer. And so it seems like there's no real doubt where the focus of these leaders are, is at. They're not getting distracted at this, at this time. Their focus is, is, on, is on God and what God, where God wants them and what God would have them do. And, you know, this got me thinking about, about fasting because I'm, I've been a Christian actually since a pretty young age and I've grown up blessed with Christian parents. And I have to confess, like I've never fasted. Uh, I'm not sure fasting is a well-practiced discipline um, in the Western world or in the world. I don't know. But I can't remember hearing much about fasting, like from in messages or sermons growing up. But it grabbed my attention because it's mentioned here. It's mentioned twice. Andrew Benar, a Scottish minister from the 19th century, he said, fasting is abstaining from anything that hinders prayer. 
Now, that's not to say that you have to fast every time you, you pray or fasting is going to bring on a greater answer to prayer. In fact, fasting is not even commanded, neither by Jesus or the apostles. But it is does seem to be something that's expected from Jesus when he talks to his disciples. In a couple of places, in Matthew 6, 16, And when you fast, not if, but when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and dishevelled, so people will admire them for their fasting. He says, I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. The, the Jews only fasted by law, only had to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees, well, they're super religious so they stepped that up to twice a week. And they really let everyone know about it. I have, uh, and have so for about 11 and a half years now, worked alongside quite a few Muslims at work and I've had some great relationships and I still do uh, with them. Very nice people and uh, very good workers. And anyway, we spend actually a fair bit of time together, some in the kitchen and uh, we, there's, there's a few of them who I tend to eat lunch with every day. Uh, we're coming up now to the their very special time of Bayram. It's their time of fasting when the sun is uh, the sun is down. But one thing I've noticed over the years is that it, it is a very special thing to them, but it is something that they absolutely will boast all day about, and it's something that they will talk about and talk about and talk about. They're so proud, especially when their children are at an age to be able to enjoy Bayram. And that had me thinking, you know, that's... When self-sacrifice... When self-sacrifice is deliberately made known to those around us, it's no longer self-sacrifice, but self righteousness it's glory seeking self-centred behaviour Jesus says that this this is between you and God don't let others know you are doing it it's got nothing to do with them it's none of their business It's none of your business if I've ever fasted or not. Now that you know, that's not important. What what is important is 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 what was mentioned this morning. Our focus. Where is our focus at? What are we focusing on? Are we getting distracted in our Christian life? You see, with all respect to Andrew Bernard of the 19th century. I don't think fasting is fasting isn't really just about prayer. Prayer is definitely a, a big role in, in, in that. But its primary purpose is to bring our focus to God. 
to be rid of distractions and to bring our focus to God. We're rock and rolling with that, are we? I am. Thank you. Oh, you're doing that. That's awesome. I'll put it down. In Matthew 9, verse 14... One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. It's easy to lose focus. It's easy to lose focus. Jesus was... Jesus was with them. These guys just had to turn to one side and God in flesh, right next to them, ready to teach them, listening to them. But when Jesus was to, to depart, he says there will be a time to fast, a time to focus. Bring your focus back to God. He is our sustainer, our saviour. He is our strength. Just over two years ago, I, uh, I was continually squinting, getting a bit, a few headaches when I was reading a lot. Um, so I went to Specsavers. <laughs> Do one of those eye tests. They're so annoying, like that puff of wind that goes in your eye, I was like, oh, I was ready just to grab that machine, but it probably cost about $50,000, so I left it alone. And, uh, and I did all those tests, and I went in, and the guy had a bit of a worried look on his face, seemed pretty bad, I was going to need glasses. So I go into that room, and then you know, they do one, two, which one's better, one, two, and you do all those things. And then uh, he took me out into the shop and he said, look across the hallway, see those two words on that shop? I'm like, no, it's like 20 metres away. And I didn't have glasses on. And he goes, okay, now put this thing on. And I had this thing on that comes on. It looks like you've got night vision, those goggles. From, they're like out here. And I look, must look so silly when you got them on. And as soon as I put them on, like, I could see, I could see so clearly. That this, it just brought my focus so clearly on those two words. I'm like, oh, that's easy to read. But, yeah. Fasting is, the, the, the fasting is never taught about producing righteousness. It's not something we do to become right with God. We'll never be made right by just doing things. But it's to bring our focus on Christ. And when we focus on Jesus Christ, we make ourselves available to be led by the Spirit, to listen and obey. Have you ever spoken to someone who just seems really distracted? Um, if, you, if you go to the MCG and last quarter and it's really close, try introducing yourself to everyone. <laughs> then you'll, you'll get a bit of an, an idea of what it feels like. People are just wanting to look at something else or someone else. When I look back on 
on the years gone by. You know, I see very appropriate times for me personally to fast, to bring my attention and focus back to God. And, and I feel like there will be times in the future that will be appropriate. But that's for me. And it would be unbiblical of me to stand here and say, we need to be a church that's fasting. Or you need to fast. What we need to be is a, a church that is focused. That is focused on God. A church that is ready and available to be led by the Spirit, listening to the Spirit's calling and being obedient. So here in Acts 13, after just saying it's about you and God, well, there's actually five of them here, whether they are the, the actual leadership of the church, these, these evangelists, these, these teachers... The circumstances we're not 100% sure about but perhaps they met with a, a difficult decision or some circumstances that they were a bit uncertain about and they're, but they're here, they're worshipping and they're fasting and the Holy Spirit reveals to them dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. And there's no decision rushed into. They continue to, to fast and they continue to pray. You had two influential guys and I'm not sure what their prayer was sort of about there where it says they, can, they prayed and continued to fast but you had two influential guys in the church and in that community that were boldly declaring the gospel of, of Jesus in this secular city that was surrounded by so much greed and evil. And God wants to take these two away. I mean, Lord, did we hear that correctly? Are you sure? Did you actually say those two? And they fasted, it says they prayed, they focused on listening to the Spirit. Their focus was listening and discerning to what God wants. There can be a, a, a bit of a selfishness in not wanting to see people move on when God calls. It might make things more difficult, a bit of a hole to fill. You know, God has a plan. And instead of worrying about the things that we know God can control and God looks after. We've got to think about what is our focus, where is our focus at. And that's just not at a, at a leadership level, but at a church level. All of us together as God's people, are we focused, are we hearing what the Spirit is telling us? Are we seeking out the Holy Spirit to lead us and prompt us and guide us. Well, the prophets and teachers of Antioch, well, they, they, they were and they laid their hands on them and sent them. And in verse 4, just so there's no confusion, it says the Holy Spirit sent out Barnabas and Saul. 
And they come to Cyprus. Now Cyprus was the home of Barnabas. It perhaps was, uh, was a, was a comfortable place. They knew people perhaps. Family, friends. It was reasonably familiar territory, at least for Barnabas. And they start preaching in, well, I had a few different pronunciations, but was it Salami? Salamis? Okay, we'll go with that. That's on, on, on the east coast there in Cyprus. And they start preaching there and in the Jews to the, in the synagogues. And they, they work their way around the entire island until they reach that west coast city of Paphos where the Roman governor Sergius Paulus had invited Barnabas and Saul. And this is where we, we start to refer Paul to his, his Roman name, uh, Paul. But try to put yourself in their position for, for a moment. You, you, as you read the book of Acts, you, you see that Luke continuously refers to the, 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 the result of, of the sharing of the gospel. Continuously we've read that the Lord added numbers to the church that day. Um, that the Lord daily added numbers to the church, that sort of phrasing. And, and many people came to know Christ. Many people followed him, thousands. Luke, was, Luke was, seems to be very detailed about continuously reminding us that, that there had been results from the preaching and from the persecution and suffering. But not so here. They went to the synagogues. They preached to the Jews. They travelled to the in the rural towns across the island, and they reached Paphos without any without any uh, comment on any sort of results from this preaching. And it can be discouraging. It can be discouraging when we feel like there's no response. Like things aren't really happening the way I expected it to happen or so quickly. We can start to have thoughts of doubt and uncertainty. And Raph was just talking about that last week uh, when he was talking about the Alpha program and at one stage it was one or two and doubt and uncertainty crept in like is this really going to be worth it should we we're we doing something wrong and before you knew it we there were too many to fit in the house to watch the DVD Barnabas and Saul have been journeying across the island some 250 300 kilometers and on foot but I don't know how many kilometres they're doing a day, but maybe ten or uh, fifteen. It's a long, it's a it's a long journey. In this verse, it just says that they travelled across that island. I'd imagine that they'd be tired, physically, emotionally, perhaps spiritually. Maybe thinking, what's going on? Like there hasn't been results. 
The, 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 the spread of the gospel has been amazing. You know, we've just come from Antioch. And they reach Paphos in Cyprus. They're right at the other end of the island and there is opposition. The devil loves to target the vulnerable and the weak. Don't get me wrong, the the devil will love to target your strengths but he loves to come after the vulnerable and the weak. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, says to the persecuted Christians, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. When Satan came after Jesus, it wasn't in the temples. It wasn't when Jesus was raising Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't when he was healing the sick. He came to Jesus to tempt him when he was hungry and alone. Be alert. Watch out when you're exhausted, when you're tired, when things don't seem to be going as well as you had expected, when things don't plan out the way you thought they'd plan out, when perhaps you're spiritually struggling physically and emotionally be alert the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour (coughs) facing opposition this sorcerer who claims to have power of the magic kind, a magician. Paul has no hesitation. It shows here that he's standing firm. There's no thought to turn around and say, this island of Cyprus is a bit of a miserable failure. I mean, what, we're going to go after the governor? Really, after everyone else, it seems like there just doesn't seem to be much happening here. He stands firm. He faces opposition and he stands firm in his faith. Because the power of the sorcerer that's on display has got nothing on the power of God through his Holy Spirit, through Paul. Facing opposition... It's not a time to hide and go into our shell, but it's a time to stand firm and be bold and courageous in the knowledge that God, who lives in us through his spirit, 
is more powerful and is greater than anything we can ever, ever, ever have to face. And we are called to lean on him and depend on him for everything. There's always going to be opposition. Always. When telling others of Jesus, when looking to bring people from an eternity in hell separated from God, bringing them into a relationship with Jesus Christ and spending eternity in heaven, there's always going to be opposition. Be firm. Be bold and courageous. The false prophet by Jesus, which literally translates the son of Jesus or, or, or son of Jehoshua, Joshua. He meets Paul and filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says, you son of the devil. He calls him out for who he is. You are a liar, a fake, an enemy of what is good and the Lord is punishing you for it. He's blinded and begging for help. And the governor who sees this becomes a believer. Not just because of what he saw in the miracle, but because he wanted to hear the word of God. He says he wanted to hear. And he was amazed, astonished at what he heard about the Lord. I'm amazed at the power of the Spirit of God. I'm amazed at the power. That at a time in Antioch, the Holy Spirit was calling these two people from Antioch on a journey. And at that time, even though he had this saucer in his pocket attached to him, I believe the Holy Spirit was doing a work in the heart of this Roman governor. It's easy, and I found it easy to to, to put people into, into boxes because they hang out with those sort of people or they do that sort of thing on the weekend that they're so far from God, you know, I'm going to turn my focus to someone else. Well, they're not really even interested in, in God, you know. I've I, I found that I've, just, I've done that so often that I, where it almost is not even a priority to, to witness to someone because I feel like they're not even in the picture of knowing Jesus. It's really, it's, it's a really silly thing to think and do. Because we don't know who the Spirit is working in and how the Holy Spirit is challenging people and working in their heart. And just at the right time, Barnabas and Paul appear in this guy's house God can use you just at the right time to appear and be with someone to tell them about Jesus at the time the magician was blinded physically the governor's 
spiritual blindness is lifted. And not only does his purpose for living change and take on a whole new meaning, his eternal destination is gone from separated from God to spend eternity with him. What a hope, what a miracle, what power that is. Now where's our focus at this morning? As a church, are we focused? Focused on what God wants and where God would have us. Are we in that place where we are listening to the Spirit of God to lead us and guide us and to be obedient, obedient to it? Lord and God, thank you for your word and that it is the truth. I thank you that it tells us of your wonderful salvation plan. But there is an opportunity for everyone to know you as Saviour and Lord. If we have distractions this morning, I oh God challenge us, rebuke us, bring us to a place of focus on you, that we would be in a place to be led by your Holy Spirit, to be used by you in the most powerful way, the most powerful way to see others come to know you as Saviour. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.